All right, so we started off, and I don't know what's going on with um, my clicker. I've tried it. Uh, this is a different one, and it's also not working. I don't know uh, if I need to get IT involved at this point, but it's not the clickers. It's something with the computer. So, so we started with chapter number one, and anybody remember anything we talked about on Tuesday? What did we talk about? This is on the final exam. It's 50% of your grade. Go. Scrub the daddy. Uh, what? Scrub daddy. daddy. Yeah, there you go. You get an A. Excellent. So. Be a business near Walmart. Be a business near Walmart. That's good. We did talk about that. What's that? Good marketing. Good marketing. Yep. You can do everything right, but still fail in business. That's You play poker? You ever play poker? I've seen it. Yeah. Anybody play poker? Yeah, you ever watch World Series of Poker? Texas Hold'em, you know? I, I'm not a big poker player. I mean, I've played a few times with with family, and I always lose. Uh, I don't. I mean, you think I, I you would think I know what I've – because I've watched, I don't know, countless hours of World Series of Poker. I like watching the show, but when it comes to poker, I'm just not good at it. So, but, yeah, but the thing about World, uh, the World Series of Poker is you have skilled players that are professionals, but at the same time they wash out just like – amateur players do you know and um it gets it gets to the point where basically anybody can win determinant on how those cards fall you know and so uh and same thing's true with business um you could be a terrible business person and just through effort and blind luck end up making you know millions of dollars you know um i had a conversation with somebody online years ago now about this idea of luck do you guys believe in luck what do you think be real with me. I don't care. Like, yeah. Well, do you think like people there's there's lucky and unlucky, or do you think that a, a, a luck randomness thing can happen to you and just you know what do you guys think? You think some people are lucky? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Sandy? Oh no, just Yeah. I mean, I know it seems like superstitious. What do you think? Depends on what you put yourself, like what situation you put yourself in. Yeah. Sure. I think the situation you put yourself in can make you luckier or unluckier. They say, um, there's a quote about luck that says, the people who work the hardest seem to be the luckiest. Something like that, you know. So, what do you think, James? You think look, there's, a, there's a luck factor? I was going to say, it's, I feel like luck's a, a way that lazy people describe successful people. Really? It's all, it's all missing. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So, they, it's, a, it's like a cop-out. Yeah, yeah. Saying, oh, he, he didn't work hard or she didn't work hard. They just got lucky, you know. I, I've seen it both ways. I, I had a, I've stopped arguing with people online, and I'd like I'll go on a social media site and a troll will come out of the woodwork and start engaging in a comment I made, and like we'll get two comments deep, and then I say all the best, and I'll just, sign, just say and then a little smiley emoticon or emoticon, and then walk away. I'm not going to engage with trolls online. It's just it's just fruitless. I think there's some people there that are there to piss you off, you know, and just to get you worked up. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm beyond that. I've reached Zen existence in online now. I'm just not going to do it, you know. Because every, every one of you probably done this, right? Have you gotten in an argument with somebody online before? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Well, this was an argument with a guy who swore that luck was total BS. There's no such thing. And I was saying, look, I, I mean, it may be, but there are factors that the right place, the right time, just by blind chance, that this person was there for this opportunity and something great happened, you know, like, and I've heard more than one millionaire or billionaire say, look, I did some things, but it was just by 
chance that I'll happen to be at this right time, right place, and that I ran into this right person for this right opportunity, you know. Like, if you, you ever watched that movie, The Social Network, about Facebook? Anybody ever seen that? So in that movie, there's a character that portrays Zuckerberg, the guy that started Facebook, and there's another girl, girl there's another guy who's, um, like, God, what's that guy's name? Spider-Man dude. The middle Spider-Man. Thank you, sir. Andrew Garfield. He's in the movie also as uh, Zuckerberg's, like, accomplice, and they're, they're creating Facebook. And, you know, it's just kind of random that they ended up in the same vicinity of each other, and they could have just as easily gone in different directions. I mean, you think about the probabilities of, number one, being born at all, you know, to be the individuals that they are, but to end up in the same vicinity of each other and have the same interests. And, I mean, it's just there is a luck factor, a randomness that goes into it. You could call it uh, luck or you, you could just call it the randomness of the universe. But, uh, yeah, I talk about all this just to say that in business you can start something and just really just because of, like, if you open a business today, the day before the pandemic hit, there was nothing that you could have done to foresee that happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you open up a business in January 2020 and then pandemic is blowing up in February, March 2020, I mean, that was just really just randomness, chaos of the universe. And you could call it bad luck or whatever you want to call it. Uh, or, I mean, like, you could have uh, bought Apple at three fifty a share, you know, and then it went up and skyrocketed to what it is today. So, I mean, who knows? But um, anything else we talked about on Tuesday you guys want to recap? Okay. Well, we got to talk about the factors of production, land, labor, capital, entrepreneurship, and knowledge. This is what it takes to uh, create. What are the two things we sell? Do you remember that? It's either a blank or a blank. We're, when, we make, when we take a factor of production, what are we producing? We're producing either a or. There you go, product or service. Goods and services, that's what we're doing. You guys learned something. Yes. That's what, I, that's what I'm here for. There you go. What's that? We're done. That's it. Um, there we go. Get my mouse out. Here we go. All right. So this is just a graphic illustrating those factors of production. Um, land is more than actual physical space. It's resources. But uh, labor, like, going back to land, but like, trees for you know metals things like that whatever whatever comes from that land that we can use as resources water uh, labor capital entrepreneurship and knowledge all these things kind of come together to give us uh, the, those factors of production and so in the business environment that's this is surrounding factors that either help or hinder the development of business and once again you could say this is luck or it could be just uh, chaos of the universe but like if I open a business on this block, it could be wildly successful. But if I move the same business, I say, well, I'm going to take the same concept and go, you know, five miles down the road and open it again, it could be a total flop. You know, um, I had a friend that had three firehouse subs franchises, and they had varying degrees of success based on location. And so, um, you know, you think it's a duplicatable business, it's going to be successful wherever it goes. But um, location is, is an important factor. So but these five ele elements are the economic and legal environment. What's the economy like? Do people, are people employed? Or do they have income? Do they have disposable income? Uh, what's the inflation, inflation environment like, like we're going through now? The technological environment. Um, is there a te technological infrastructure for people to be able to use uh, to do the things they need to do in life? 
what's the competitive environment like? Am I going to open a restaurant with a hundred restaurants around me or four? Well, you know, and you think about it, if people are making a decision to go out to eat, if they've only got three or four options, you know, it's going to really help you in that situation. But if there's a hundred, you're just one in a hundred shot that are going to pick you, right? Uh, social environment. Um, what's the culture like? I do, like if I open up a restaurant, is the is the culture of this area such that most people cook at home and they just prefer not to go out, or they only go out go out on occasions? Um, global business environment. Yeah, what was what's that like now? And so with that business environment, uh, this is just a graphic to illustrate that, and it just shows you um, all these different things are factors that the business can maybe influence, but largely just has to live within and be aware of. And it's important if, as you grow up going to management, leadership, and business that you keep in mind these things because it does affect you. Uh, I mentioned to you last week about the, the student of mine that owned Once Upon a Child. Yeah, after the pandemic hit, she came to me and was like, do you know anybody who wants to buy my business? And she was seeing these factors play out in real time and watching it impact her business. And so things that you need to be aware of. But here's something you'll hear me say a lot in this course, and I apologize for advance. But the reason I say it is because it's true. There are tremendous parallels between your personal life and business. Like the way that you manage your personal life, you can apply to managing a business and vice versa. So like when it comes to business management, you've got to have a budget, right? You've got to know how to manage cash resources. Same thing's true with the business. And... Uh, you've got to run your business professionally. You should also run your yourself professionally. And so there's a ton of parallels, and you'll start to see those evident across this course. So I'll, I'll mention that probably several dozen times over the course of the course. All right, so let's talk about these a little more in depth, the technological environment. Everything from phones to computers and the various software programs that make business processes more, process more efficient, effective, efficient, and productive how technology benefits workers and you, productivity, the amount of output you generate given the amount of input, for example, hours worked. So productivity in the United States has gone up because we've been able to leverage technology that can help us be more productive. As an example, the, one of the last things I saw happen at Walmart before I left, you know, associates have badges with little barcodes on them. Well, what, <laughs> what they were starting to do was uh, you would come in for your shift at night and they would, you were either already in the system because of the schedule or I could scan this barcode and input you into the system and then assign you a department. And let's say I'd assign you, assigned you a department eight pets. The, the system would know that we received 240 cases of pet product that night and its system would spit out a number and say, this associate should be able to stock those 240 cases in like five hours and 37 minutes. And it would assign that to you, and it would automatically know, factor in your breaks, your lunch, everything, and know how long it would take you to get, it's supposed to take to get through that product. And when you were done, I could come through, visually inspect, and confirm that you had done that. And it would go into a report log that I could print out for your evaluation and show that you're either, you know, 3% above what the system says you should be able to do or 3, 5, 10% below that mark. And if you were severely under the mark, consistently not doing, getting the work done, this, it could lead to a write-up. So it's going to get more and more 
crazy productivity like that from an individual level. But when it comes to just machine productivity, yeah, it's it's really fascinating how that stuff works and how much more evolved machines are going to get and be able to be productive and, and, and create things. So, but let's just talk about the phone real quick since technology mentioned that right out of the gate. Yeah, when they originally designed smartphones, I watched a movie from the early, the mid-90s this past weekend, and nobody had smartphones. They weren't invented yet. It's kind of weird to watch that again. But um, <clears throat> when they invented the smartphone, it wasn't designed, well, well, the Internet wasn't originally designed to be a commerce medium. People buy things. But it quickly became that. And just think about how big of a lever it is that, Everybody around here can pick up a phone and push a, push just a few buttons and have pretty much whatever you want delivered to your house a few days later. You know, I mean, I needed something last night that I said, well, you know, I hadn't got one of these in a while. I picked up my phone. It's probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock last night. Put it in my Amazon cart, pushed a button. It'll be here Saturday. You know, that's, that's an incredible lever. That's a, just an amazing lever for uh, technology. Uh, but And that, that makes commerce that much more simplified because if I hadn't been able to do that, I'd have to remember to when I go to the grocery store or the store next time to get, you know, an item. But here's, we're going to have adaptive uh, commerce in the future where an AI that is in your household will know basically what you purchase based on your previous purchase history. It'll be able to analyze your purchases from, let's say that you do 80 or 90% of your shopping at Walmart. It'll be able to analyze all your transactions and what you purchased and create assumptive ordering for you. It'll create carts based on what you've ordered in the past to say, oh, we think you need X number of jars of peanut butter or loaf of bread or whatever, and just go ahead and have that on autopilot. You won't have to think about it. It'll just just do it, you know. Does anybody um, schedule deliveries and things like that now? Or does anybody order something to go pick it up at Walmart, like parking lots? Or don't anybody that does? I don't do that, but I see people. Do, a lot of people do it. <clears throat> when you go to Walmart, do you see those shoppers with the big carts? Yeah, yeah. is that you? That's you. Yeah, yeah. So you do that. So you know a lot of people do do, do this, right? Yeah. Uh, it's gotten. You guys have a whole room dedicated to this now, right? So it's a big deal. How many people are dedicated to just that? Do you think? How many workers are assigned to just do like online shopping? That's a big number. That's a big number. We have like a lot of orders coming in every hour. <clears throat> so you've got 15 workers just just to handle those online orders. I mean, that's that's a big number. Uh, and so um, that's that's basically like a shift in and of itself just dedicated to that. So awesome. All right. I'll keep moving along. So this is some additional information. E-commerce, buying and selling goods over the Internet, business to consumer, business to business. Yeah, anything you want or need, good, good or service, there's, a, there's an opportunity online. And the challenge for you guys is to figure out where the gap is, to, to be able to anticipate what consumers are going to need in the future, or how can you take something that's already existing and make it even better. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but you can figure out, okay, I see an opportunity here. What can we do to make it even better? And that's the kind of stuff we do all the time in higher ed. We look at other colleges and say, okay, they're doing something that looks cool. We could, also, we could do it over here. And so we, we just take that idea and run with it over here. Uh, but the same thing is applicable in the private sector. If you guys saw an opportunity, uh, have you ever been out of state and you saw 
a, a retail space or a restaurant or something, you thought, why don't we have this here in North Carolina? What, does anybody have an example? What do you think? What is that? I've heard about it. It's, yeah, the, my, in fact, my daughter showed me a thing recently on that. It's like tenders and fries and stuff. Okay. And then the CEO, he's like, yeah. He's like, we're not going to add anything. Because, like, how much time do people sit in line and just stare at I love the concept. I'm already in love with it. Right, let's get a franchise. That's what we need. Because, I, I don't know, like, when I, I watched the movie The Founder about McDonald's, and the original idea of McDonald's was we're going to have, like, ten items on the menu. That's it. And they had all this other junk they just got rid of. And I think part of the problem McDonald's has is they're trying to do too much, you know. They, they had a good thing going with the, the burger, the Big Mac, the nuggets. And now they're try- they've got a Chick-fil-A competitor with the Southern Chicken Sandwich. They, they did a Bojangles-type, Bowberry-type thing, you know. In the, I don't know what you call that. But then they got the coffee thing going like Starbucks, you know, so McCafe. I would love to see McDonald's do something a little different and open up a McDonald's retro. And all they did was burgers. Um, fries, nuggets, and some, and maybe um, what do you call it? It's not, it's not the, what is not the Whopper, but what is the the big, big, what do you call it? The big sandwich. Is it a Big Mac? Yeah, with the with the dressing on it. Yeah. Yeah. Do, does anybody like those? I don't like. Yeah, I've, I I'm not a big Thousand Island dressing guy, so it's like ugh, that, that doesn't work for me. So. But yeah, I would love to see McDonald's just go to like five items or something, like a retro, and just keep it real simple. I think it would be a hit. If you didn't want to go wait in line over here, they just produce this, and it's just kind of like the Canes concept. I dig that. So, All right. So um, just a few other terms. Databases and electronic storage file for information. Identity theft, obtaining of individuals' personal information, such as Social Security and credit card numbers for illegal purposes. I ran into a detective in the past year. We were talking out in the hallway. I said, you know, he's a Smithfield PD guy. I said, what, what is the biggest trouble you guys are, ch- or the biggest opportunities you guys are chasing now? Uh, and I was thinking drugs. You know, he said, oh, yeah, drugs is always a problem. But he said, you know what the biggest challenge for us right now is? Identity theft. He said, it's huge. And he said, you get basically, I mean, gangs is not the appropriate term, but... I guess these groups of people that get together and they, they just, it's a full-time operation of scamming. Um, there was a great podcast I listened to a couple years ago now where this guy got a phone call from Apple Support and the guy on the phone said, You've, your, your Mac has a virus, uh, $299, I can fix it, but we're doing a special today. I can fix it for you right now for $199. And so the guy he called was an investigative journalist. So the journalist kind of kept him going and then they, they said, well, um, we are offering, I've got an additional coupon where I can take another $50 off. So they dropped it to $149. And he eventually said for $99, I can do it right now. And the whole thing was a scam. He wanted the person to click on a link that would give the other person control of the computer. And then he would go in and steal information. It's a data theft, theft uh, scam. And so what ended up happening, he found out who that scammer was. They work out of a shop in India. So the journalist convinced his editor to let him follow the story. So he got on an airplane and flew to India. Yeah, this, this story gets deep. He went and knocked on the door of the scammer and with, like, you know, their, their whole team, the investigative team. And they, they, they get an interview with the scammer. He said, they, they, they couldn't talk to him there. He said, but I'll meet you at this coffee shop. We'll talk. And the scammer brought his boss 
and um, they explained the whole scam, how it works. They had, it's like a call center. I don't know if you've ever seen a call center. It's a big area, probably twice as big as this room, and they have cubicles with computers and phones. And all day, every day, all these guys do is call, call this in America, trying to scam them. And the guy said that um, he makes about $1,000 a day from scams. What happens is they call a number, and they might call 100 numbers before they finally get somebody that will do it. But when they get them scammed, um, the house gets half of what they get. So if they get 100 bucks, they get 50, the house gets 50. And, um, but you think if that guy's getting $1,000 a day and they've got, just say, 50 people in the room doing this, that's $50,000 a day for the house. Seven days a week, that's three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, four weeks a month. Let's do the math. Well, that's seven fifty one point four million dollars a month in scam, and so you can see how lucrative that is. You know, um, I'm not trying to talk you guys into doing this as a business. <laughs> Just letting you know that. Uh, please avoid all unethical activity. Um, but I'm just saying there is a huge profit motive for why people do these types of things. Um, yeah, it, it bothers me uh, with identity theft. One of the a good practice you can do when it comes to identity theft is lock your credit so nobody can open up any kind of credit account or anything uh, that, you, that you have without unlocking it. Another good practice is two-factor authentication. Um, you've heard of like where you sign into an account and you get a text, but a better than that is this app like Authy or Google Authenticator where you have a code that's generated every 30 seconds. That's pretty secure, so you have to enter that code to log in. They have to have your device. Uh, so I think those are good uh, mitigators for identity theft. But it's going to have to get better and better. Um, if, are you guys doing IT or cybersecurity? Um, you want to get freaked out on this kind of stuff, go talk to Woody Sanford down the hall. He's our, one of our IT guys. He said, if you think about it, um, do you, any of you guys use Face ID to unlock your phone? I do. He said, well, if you think about it, Face ID, is the, the machine doesn't see your face. It, keeps, it stores it as a data file. And that data file can be extracted to anywhere. Anybody can import or export that file. And so you think about if that data is compromised, anybody can own your biometrics, you know. So that's pretty freaky to think about. I was like, Woody, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You scare me. So, okay. So the social environment, demographics or demography. <clears throat> the statistical study of the human population with regard to its size, density, and other characteristics such as age, race, gender, and income. <coughs> Managing diversity. Diversity has grown from just recruiting minorities and female workers, creating a workplace that promotes inclusion and belonging. There is a profit motive. It's good for business to be diverse because, um, just to throw out an example, if, if I fill up a room with people that are similar to me from my, from, as far as background, I'm only going to get that singular viewpoint of how customers look at products and services. But if I have people from a diverse background, that's going to give me a diversity of ideas on how people view products and services. And so if I'm truly trying to market my product and service, I want a diverse background. Another example, if I have all men in the room making decisions on products and services and how we're going to sell these things, I'm not getting a female perspective on uh, what those thoughts are because um, half the population's female. Why would I not want to cater to that population, you know, and say, just from a business standpoint, why do I want to alienate that population? So we need to create a viewpoint that incorporates the female perspective. And so um, diversity or demography, it changes greatly over time. And so 
as diversity or demography changes, you need to adapt your business to serve a more diverse uh, population. The United States is a melting pot, and so we have people from all over the world come here. And that being said, we need to know who's here and what products and services they really want in order to serve that population. And so, good example, um, in my lifetime of demographics, when I went to high school, when I graduated, I had about 150 people in my graduating class, and I would say it was probably, out of 150, probably 60 Caucasian, 60 black or African American, and then probably 30 of other being Asian, Native American, Hispanic, Latino descent. And so that being said, that was in 1998 when I graduated. Fast forward to now, and those demographics were probably something like uh, 40%, 30 or 40% Hispanic, Latino, um, 30, 40% uh, a mix of African-American and whites, and then that would leave about 20% Asian, uh, Asian-American, Indian, and other races. And so um, that demographic has shifted greatly in my lifetime. And so that being said, how do we redefine our businesses and our products and services to serve a new demographic? Uh, and that's the thing that business people have to constantly look at. Um, what products and services does this group of demographics want that uh, this other group may not want as much? Another example is aging in population. We talked about age as a factor. So our population is getting older. There's this huge group of individuals called baby boomers. As they get older, yeah, they don't want to skateboard as much anymore, right? They, they would prefer recliners and stuff that, that lends well to an, an aged population. And so how do we take care of that population and give them products and services they care about? These are things that you have to think about. And there's like firms that set up there as consulting firms that just deal with, you know, how can I, how can I help uh, people that are aging and elderly with technology barriers? Like um, I had a guy reach out to me within the past year and said, I need somebody to come help me learn how to use an iPhone. This was an older person, and I'm guessing somewhere between the 60 to 80 age, age bracket. And they wanted to hire a student to come to their house to give them instruction on how to operate an iPhone because they wanted to learn how to do it. And we take that skill for granted, you know, because we're what's called digital natives. We grew up with technology, but a large chunk of the population did not. My father-in-law, who's 71, he still uses a flip phone. And I mean, it's ancient, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what are you doing? They got some nice flip phones, but this is not a, this is just, this is a basic, you know, it's not a, it's not a cricket, but it's, it's getting close, you know. But I still miss a flip phone, man. I had a razor. I love the old school razors. They were bad. Did you have one? Did you love it? I love my razor too, man. Yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It was, it was like a, a status symbol, man. If you you've had a razor, that was cool, man. So, um, they they've got razors now, but they're not as cool as the original ones. They're just not. So, would you? Does anybody have a folding phone? A folding smartphone with? I, I, I'm sure Apple's gonna have one at some point. I'm sure I'll have to get it at some point, but I'm not I'm not ready for that yet. So. All right, so we talk about diversity. So here we go, demography of the U.S. by age. And so we're pretty equal until you get to that middle group, 25 to 54. That would be Gen X. That's my generation. Um, and so when my generation gets to the next group, the 55 to 64, and then to the 65 and over, yeah, so those, there's going to need services to cater to that my generation of, of folks because that's a huge population. Here's the trouble we get into. Um, when I'm in the 65 and over, over bracket, 
That next group below it, the 55 to 64, let's see. Let me see where I'm at. That would be the 15, the, the pink now. So my group, my demographic age group, 39%, is three times bigger than the demographic group below it, the 13%. And so um, we're going to be dependent on a smaller population to help take care of us um, and provide you know, services and goods and also provide income into a social security system. Uh, so there's, there's, there's real challenges when you look at that from a dem- demography standpoint. How do we plan for an aging population? But there's an opportunity there. If, if you look at this from a business standpoint, you say, okay, how can I cater to this population? What can I do to serve this, growing, this, this aging population? So that's stuff that business people think about. What can we do to make this more welcoming, more friendly? Um, yeah, what do you guys think? What was something that you think that we could do in the future that would make, that would draw an older crowd to a product or service? Nostalgic, maybe. It's nostalgic, okay. I like that. Simplify, okay. I like the idea of making things safe, too. Um, depending on where it's at, like, uh, I'm not old, but I don't like to go out at night unless it's, like, well lit. So some of these places are not very well lit. Even, like, I mean, a Walmart parking lot or um, over at Old Navy parking lot in Goldsboro, it's not very well lit. So something that would draw me as an older person to go out to get something at night is if it's a well-lit and safe area to go to be able to purchase things. So, All right, so here's current demography of the U.S. by race. So this is, these numbers are drastically changing in the next uh, 20 years. So um, right now, white or Caucasians take up 76%, but Hispanic at 18%, then you have uh, black or African-American at 13%, and then Asian at 59 yeah, these are real. These are rough numbers because what's going to happen is this seventy-six percent is going to probably get cut in half by twenty fifty, and the other groups are going to grow, and so you're going to see this demography, this demography shift. So what does that mean? That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for people that sell goods and services to a more Hispanic or Black or Asian market, because that's going to be a growing segment that you can dial into and say, what can I do to serve that population? So this is the way you have to think as a business person. What can I do to help capture you know, this market share? Because everybody needs goods and services. What can I do? Uh, quick story on that. You've heard of the gold rush, right? You've heard of that? People went out west to find gold. Most people did not find gold. Most people went broke. But guess who made a lot of money? The people that provided goods and services to the people going to dig for gold. So the people that went out there to set up a restaurant or a bar or set up a general store to sell pickaxes and supplies, those are the people that made a fortune because they knew that, okay, these people were digging the hills for gold. They, you know, maybe one in a hundred will find something worth finding, but everybody's going to need a pickaxe. Everybody needs a shovel. Everybody wants something to eat. So that's the kind of thinking you need to be, be percolating on. Where's the opportunity? So this is... um. Some, okay, this is house shifting. Okay, we already the last one was where it's at. If I can last view, so went from seventy six and eighteen on the top two to sixty eight and twenty seven. So you can see that it didn't quite get cut in half, but it, it significantly diminished uh, on the largest population. So yeah, and that trend will probably continue. Um, 
I don't know what it would check out to to 2100, but you're going to see a more of a more of a blend or a balancing uh, through the rest of the century. All right, let's see. So talk about diversity a little bit. In 2020, people around the world joined protests against institutionalized racism and police violence. A movement placed on renewed or renewed focus on racial bias in many areas of life, including business. What can companies do to create diverse and inclusive workplaces? What do you guys think? What can companies do to create diverse and inclusive workplaces? It's a real simple thing. Hire a diverse workforce. And then give the workforce a seat at the table in discussing company policies and procedures. You know, that's that's it. <clears throat> Once again, looking at just the gender thing, if, if we hire a company of all men and we don't have a female voice there to talk about what the needs of that population are, you know, that there might be considerations that we just didn't think of, you know. Like men, for the most part, don't need maternity leave, you know, but a female employee might need that, you know, and so that's a consideration that we need to think about, okay, well, how do we, how do we cope with that? And, of course, we have laws in place now, our Family Medical Leave Act, that encompass that, but um, these are conversations that companies need to to have because companies don't want to disenfranchise their employees and they also don't want to disenfranchise their customers. <laughs> so they want to be seen as uh, and actually be a company that cherishes diversity. Diversity will cue you into what the population as a whole wants. So you have to be able to listen to the voices of many and, get, and, hear, the, and hear those and incorporate that into your, your corporate strategy. All right, so what is diversity? The U.S. Equal Opportunity, Employment Opportunity Commission prohibits laws discriminated against age, disability, genetic information, national origin, pregnancy, race, religion, and sex. Uh, meaning, sex would mean not gender, but sexual preference. Um, they also uh, don't discriminate against gender, too. But um, do you think that this is perfect? Do you think people still get discriminated based on these things? Yes. yes. So, um, age is the first one, and I'll talk about that. Um, if I have uh, somebody come to apply for a job, and um, this person is in their mid to late 60s, and I've got a job, and the typical employee is somewhere between 25 and 35, do you think there's going to be a bias against the, the person in their 60s? Probably, right? <clears throat> but from a legal standpoint, it's against the law to discriminate against that person based on their age. You look at, you should look at them solely as somebody that can perform, right? Uh, and it goes all the way down the list. You try to be objective and say, does this person or can this person fulfill the mission of the organization that we need them to fulfill? And all these other things shouldn't be a factor. But being practical and being honest with you guys, these things do come up often in employment law. In fact, um, uh, you haven't had our. You may have uh, started a class with this person, <clears throat> but we recently just hired somebody, Dr. Fleming. She's a lawyer. And she's we're glad to have her. Oh, she's my, my awesome. Uh, which class are you taking with her? Oh, I don't even know. I have her. That's okay. <laughs> management. That's perfect. Cool. Well, I'm glad you you got Dr. Fleming, and um, she will probably talk about diversity and inclusion in her class, <coughs> but the. The thing that, that baffles me is that we talk about this stuff every semester in college, but these things come up all the time in the private sector and in the public sector too, but uh, it's the, it just I guess it kind of cements the reason why we have to keep teaching and talking about this stuff 
because discrimination just keeps showing itself in these different uh, employment opportunities. And we want to try to be fair and objective and not discriminate against people. Uh, we're just looking for capable people who could do a good job. People who are going to show up on time and do good work, right? All right. <clears throat> so talking about the business environment, that's a little bit more on technology. Gen Z are those born after the mid-1990s. They will be the largest group of consumers in the world, so marketers need to capture their attention and engage, it, engage them. And um, this is a challenge for people that are a generation or two removed from Gen Z. How do I, how do I tell a story that they can relate to? Because there is a divide between the generations in the language, the literal language we use. My kids use a word called bussin'. You know what that is? <laughs> Something's bussin', right? It's good. Yeah, yeah I get it. But I needed, I needed like a translator to tell me what that means, right? So, and you guys know what that is because you're right there a generation away, you know. So, um, so you, you get that language. But if I'm a marketer, it would not occur to me to use the word bussin' in a commercial, you know. Like, but that's probably the word I need to be using. Like, I could see a great Taco Bell commercial being, mm, this is bussin', this is bussin', bussin'. You know, like, that would be a great commercial. But, you know, I need somebody from Gen Z to tell me that's the language I need to be using to get through, you know. If I was a marketer, like a serious marketer doing this professionally, I would spend a chunk of my day just watching TikTok from influencers. And the language they're using, and they're getting, you know, 5, 10, 50, 100 million views on a stupid clip, that's the same type of language and stuff we need to be doing. Um, TikTok and, and applications like that have really turned marketing on its head because you got some dude in, in the basement that can put out a video and get 50 million views. I mean, that's phenomenal. You know, there's, that's just incredible, the lever that they've got. All from, they take a smartphone and they create a video that gets 50 million views. I mean, that's insane if you think about it, you know. Technology is a lever. That's incredible. Like, we didn't have that, you know, in previous generations, but now there it is. And so... What happens if that person in the basement creates that video, they get 50 million views, all of a sudden all these companies say, we want you to say something nice about our product. And then they start getting all these, all these endorsements and promotions and stuff. So, But yeah, we need to understand the language of other generations, be it younger or older. Um, sometimes when I'm talking to somebody older than me and I have friends that are in their 80s, I have to put it in perspective that they can understand. Sometimes when I'm talking about technology or something, they still don't get it, and I'm not trying to discriminate against I'm just saying reality that some generations just have a hard time grasping because, once again, we're digital natives. We grew up with technology, and some of these folks just haven't had to use it. And so, um, but understanding the language of, or this intergenerational language is, is super important. So globalization has grown due to efficient distribution systems and communication systems such as the Internet. Uh, war and terrorism are concerned. Uh, they have drained trillions of dollars from the U.S. economy. Money was diverted to the war effort. Adds to the cost of insurance and security. War is good for some businesses, but bad for a lot of businesses. Um, it drains resources and money. It's just, a, it's just a cash sink. It's a black hole. And not only is it bad for uh, business, it's good for, once again, it's good for some business. If you're, the war, if you're in the war business, it's good for you. But uh, if you're in business in general, it's just uh, money that could be used for better ends. Um, and so uh, we could get into the philosophical debate of the necessity of war sometimes. Uh, not a good time to do it right now, but 
uh, I'll just say that on the the net whole of humanity, war is not a good thing. And so um, you end up losing, you know, costing tremendous resources, uh, both personal and, and financial. Um, <clears throat> so talk about ecological environment, climate change, the movement of temperature of the planet up or down over time, granting the trend towards saving energy and producing products that cause less harm to the environment. All right, let me ask. And whatever your opinion is, I do not care. What's your thing on global warming? What do you think? Is it happening? Are humans involved in it? I don't care what your opinion is. I just want to know what you think about it. Yeah, I think it's real. You think it's real? Why do you think that? Yeah. What do you think, Sandy? I think it is. You think it's a real thing? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I think it's a real thing. I feel like humans are accelerating it. Because like, uh, the climate around Earth is always changing. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think <clears throat> since we've been burning fossil fuels and everything, we're just accelerating. I'm, I'm not a climate expert. Um, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic when it comes to all science because uh, <clears throat> I know how easily data can be manipulated. That being said, I believe in science. I, I, I lean towards truth and facts. Uh, and 99% of the climate scientists believe that humans are affecting the climate. To what degree, we don't know for sure. Um, but I, I, I believe sea level rise is, is occurring. And so that could have catastrophic consequences where we are growing our population, but yet the sea level is in, encroaching on land. And so you're having more and more people in little smaller, smaller spaces. So, um, but it remains to be seen what's going on. So James, what's your thoughts, man? You like your deep thought on this. Nobody wants a nuclear reactor in the backyard. That's the thing, yeah, so. Yeah, but and my thing is, well, we put it on warships and they shoot missiles at them. So. Yeah, I know, right, yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. I, uh, the fact of the matter is, I, I like the idea of clean energy or renewable. We're, we're pretty far away from getting there completely. Pretty far away. Um, I think AI, once we get there, which I think we're closer than I thought we were, <laughs> but once we get that going... It can tell us how to be more energy efficient and ways to get there faster. I think, I think that's what's going to happen with that. So. But that being said, just like every other factor we've talked about today, um, you have to think about it from a business standpoint. How can climate factors affect business? How can I capitalize on that? One thing that's simple, a climate survival kit and like stuff that this is no different than a hurricane prep kit or something, you know what I'm saying? But you can gear toward the climate people and say, there's a niche of people that are all into this and you can put together a gear bag or whatever and sell it as a climate, you know, on the climate angle. And so that's just one idea that somebody could do. I see hurricane prep bags. I see meal prep bags where you have like a week supply of food in a bag, but I don't know if I've ever seen a climate, climate prep bag, you know, something. So I don't know. 
But just throwing, you know, but these ideas are just thought bubbles, you know, just throwing stuff out there, ways to capitalize. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about the evolution of business in the U.S. Got just a few more minutes. So in the 1800s, the agriculture industry led economic development. Everybody's on the farm producing goods and services. Technology like the harvester and cotton gin made large-scale farming successful. This led to fewer farmers with larger farms. Industrialization in the 19th and 20th centuries moved jobs from farms to factories. As technology improved, uh, productivity, fewer workers were needed in factories. And so, yeah, we see this evolution from agrarian to industrial to more service-based economy that we're in now. And our production, still some in the United States, but a lot of it has gone overseas. So that's kind of uh, our evolution in a nutshell. So um, since the mid-1980s, service industry generated almost all the increases in employment. There are more high-paying jobs in service industries. And so right now, once again, product and service, the service that you're participating in right now is <coughs> college education. And we are a service industry. We provide a service to you guys, um, just as an example. So information-based global and technological res revolutions is altering all sectors of the economy. A significant portion of a company's value is based on its intellectual capital. Innovation is encouraged. What can we do? What unmet need can we meet? Um, what can we innovate that will draw consumers, you know, keep us going in a positive tra trajectory? Um, if you're not growing, you're dying. That's the way these companies operate. You gotta constantly be thinking, how can we make it better, smaller, faster, more, more accessible, more convenient, uh, meeting more needs of the consumer? The great thing about technology is, is that it's extremely deflationary. What I mean by that is, the more, uh, as technology evolves, it gets cheaper and cheaper to produce. Uh, the first TV I bought, well, the first flat screen TV my dad bought, I think he paid close to $3,000 for it. That same TV is probably 90% thinner now, and it's probably 80% cheaper because of, just technology and deflation uh, that happens with technology. And so you've got, uh, I thought it was awesome. There he's gone. You got um, TVs is one example, smartphones. So iPhone has cost roughly six to $800 for years. But the good thing that's happened is the technology has improved like exponentially. And so uh, did anybody ever have iPhone one? Anybody here? I had an iPhone one. And a few years ago, I found an iPhone 1, and I started messing with it. And it's just, like, terrible compared to this iPhone, you know. And so, but that iPhone 1 was expensive, you know, when it first came out. And so the, the, the scale that that has grown and gives us more innovation is tremendous. And so remember, technology is deflationary. There's actually a um, great book called uh, The Price of Tomorrow about deflation of technology. And really... Once we get AI going and robotics, we'll be able to produce everything, everything that we want or need at scale. And machines will do it, and it'll cost very little. Um, this is going to blow your mind. This is, this is going to be another discussion. I'll, I'll get into it. But the next evolution, we've gone from agrarian to industrial revolution to service, right? What do you think the next thing is? So the next big thing that's going to have to, people are going to have to wrap their mind around is post-work. Humanity in a hundred years will not get up in the morning and go to work. Think about that. Just wrap your brain around that for a second. We will get up in the morning and 
work on things that we are interested in doing. Like we'll still have people that are doctors. We'll still have people that are teachers, but you will have a individualized, like your great, great grandchildren will have, when they're born, they'll have a AI assigned to them. And that AI will teach them their ABCs, one, two, threes, all the way up to calculus and physics. And it will teach that child. It will adapt to that child's learning needs. And yeah, yeah. So imagine having a me, but it's, a machine doing all this and it'll be automated and it teaches, you the way that you need to it teaches you the way you need to learn. It adapts to your learning style. But on top of that, this is getting the next level. One more evolution is you'll take a pill that has nanobots in it that will attack cancer cells. It will monitor your blood pressure, your heart rate, all the chemicals in your body, and it will make adjustments where they need to be made to keep you in optimal health. Um, that's coming. Then the next evolution beyond that is actual integration of artificial intelligence robotics into our biology. That's, that's, that's far down the road, but that will be something that's hard, a, a major transition, and there'll be people that resist that, you know, and say this is the end of the world as we know it. But, you know, um, but I think there will be a, there could, if, we, if we don't blow it, there could be a, a utopian society at some point where machines do all the work, and we just enjoy living good lives. I think that could happen. Um, because uh, the, I'll show you one thing before we close up today. Has anybody ever heard of Boston Dynamics? Yes. All right, I'm going to take a time out. This, this video came out today. We'll stop my recording here. Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast. Brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College, in Smithville, North Carolina. Underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free.